Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Good morning, Lisa. Welcome to episode 34. Good morning, Melissa. Can you believe this is our 34th episode? I just have to say that that is pretty exciting to me. I love it. I actually just started listening to this other podcast by a kind of new to me friend and she just started her podcast and she's starting at episode 100. You like, I mean, you can name them whatever you want. And so she just thought it was kind of like a checkbook. Like she didn't want to have to be at one. She like feels better by having a higher number. So her, like their pre intro to the like episode zero to her podcast is a hundred. And then the first episode is 101. That is really funny. I would never have thought of that. I see the value in it, but I would never, I don't know. I think I would feel like I was cheating, but hey, more power to her. It's probably very smart. I don't know. Anyhow, today we have a really interesting interview. And so I'm curious, I wanted to ask you, have you ever done yoga? I have. I, it is not the type of exercise that I think I would normally be drawn to. And it's been, we talked about this a little bit before we started. It's been it started as really a physical, like it was a class at the gym. And I think I was drawn to it because of the stretching, because I was a dancer. I didn't always love the slowness of it because I don't like to slow down. But as I've explored mindfulness, which we've talked about in recent episodes, and just the benefit of slowing down, I have really grown to love it. And it's easy on my body and I don't get sweaty doing it. So sometimes I feel like I can't exercise today because I don't have time to work out and then shower. But I can do 10 minutes of yoga really anytime. And I don't have to, I mean, I have to kind of be dressed appropriately for it, but I don't have to like take a shower afterwards. And so anything that makes movement more accessible to me in the season is winning. I actually am practicing yoga more than any other type of exercise right now. And I use the app called Down Dog because I can pick the length of the session and I can pick more aerobic like practice. So that's great. I I've heard of the down dog app. I have not used it. So a couple of years ago, one of my daughters, Oh, Mary Catherine had started doing yoga. She's been on a, a journey of sort of healing her body and everything. And uh, she was using the YouTube channel yoga with Adrian. And so she told me that she'd done one of these 30 day yoga I don't know if you call it a challenge, but sort of a process. And I decided to try it. At the time, I didn't actually realize that the way it's set up is you're supposed to do it every day for 30 days. So it probably took me 60 days to do it. But I had never done yoga, and I tend to not be flexible physically. It was a good challenge for me, and I really ended up liking it far more than I expected. Anyhow, I've since done it, I think a few times I've done the challenge now. And at different times, I work yoga in and out of my exercise practice. I think it's extremely healthy and sort of life-giving. I don't use it as a spiritual practice, but I do use it as a physical exercise and as a, uh, as a part of mindfulness, just slowing down and breathing. I actually have a really funny little yoga story I have to tell you now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, um, I want to know. And I love Adrian, by the way. She's one of my favorites. She's got just a little bit of a, like an edge to her, like a, it's not like down out sarcasm, but there's something about her. I just feel like if she were, if we knew each other in real life, we would be friends. 
Yeah, she's got a touch of humor. I really, I really enjoy her, and her dog is cute and all that. Um, anyhow, one, uh, I think it was maybe Isaiah's sophomore year of college. He really is good at yoga and likes yoga. Believe it or not, he started doing yoga on our We Fit. That's how he started. So he signed up for yoga in the fall. And the way PE courses are run at the University of Idaho is each one is half a semester, so you can do different things. So he decided in the spring that he wanted to try some different kinds of yoga. So for the second half of spring semester, he signed up for three yoga classes. He was going to try each one and then decide which one he was going to do and drop the others. Well, the problem with these mid-semester classes is kids often forget that they signed up. So all of a sudden, he realized that he had these three yoga classes he was signed up for, and he had not yet gone to any of them. And the kicker was it was too late to drop them. He had to take three yoga classes during the last half of the semester. And because he was already behind, he had to do yoga makeup classes on Saturdays. He was doing so much yoga that we all still laugh about this, the semester of yoga. But he's quite good at it now, which is really funny. But anyhow, little yoga story from the Qualls family. That's funny. Patrick actually picked up hot yoga for right as he was leaving his corporate job. There was a a core power yoga studio, which is kind of a national chain in his building. They just opened, they offered a free week of yoga classes. And so he, you know, just did it because it was free and he was looking for something to do and actually found out that he really enjoyed it. And he actually felt like he really got a workout in because he sweat so much and yeah. he is not flexible at all. Like I would say he's probably one of the most inflexible people that I know, but he really gained a lot of flexibility I think because his muscles were so warm because of that like hot yoga environment. And even now he's starting to get back to running and things and he's missing it because I think his body felt so much better when he was doing it. And he's starting to get aches and pains and things that had really kind of cleared themselves up when he was doing it, which is pretty crazy. Okay. So enough Lisa and Melissa yoga talk. The crazy thing is, is that Yoga is so much more than just exercise. There is a spiritual component, which we understand if you are from the Christian tradition, you might not subscribe to, um, which I totally understand. Lisa and I totally get that. But then there's all these like lifestyle type things that go with yoga. I actually had no idea until I started talking to Tanya, who's our guest today. So Tanya Milliken is a certified yoga health coach. She is also certified as a Body Thrive co-team leader for Yoga Healer. And she is a kids yoga and meditation instructor. Uh, She's a student of Ayurveda. She actually is a Christian, but she, through this journey of different types of yoga lifestyle practices, kind of stumbled upon this space for her family that really fostered less anxiety, better sleep, more healing. And so she mentors families in a vibrant, playful, caring community where often bewildered, overwhelmed, and misunderstood families and caregivers are able to land safely and softly. And she's there to guide her group members through small shifts in their daily routines and habits that assist families and caregivers to reduce feelings of stress and overwhelm, which moves them towards creating their own healing journey. So she is an adoptive mom. She'll talk up a little bit about her story in the interview, but there were just so many good nuggets of little things. And she was so kind to us about how to make tiny little shifts. So 
I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with Tanya. Good morning, Tanya. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Thanks for having me. I am pretty excited to be here. We've chatted a couple times and we have some similarities. So I I like getting together with you to chat. It's always a good time. And I learn lots. Yeah, (laughs) I am super excited. You've been talking to me about some of these things on and off as we've been chatting. And finally, I just said, oh, you need to come share these with our audience because they're so relevant to what we believe here at the Adoption Connection. And they're helpful, they're simple, and they're things that we can start doing with ourselves first, uh, which is super important because that's where our control lies. Uh, We can't control what our kids are doing or even how they perceive us, but we can do things that start with us and see the trickle down effects of that. So it's, it's funny that you should say that because the program that I teach now, Habits to Thrive Through Ayurveda and Yoga, I did not start this program for me in any way, shape or form. <laughs> the advertisement and the lady that became my mentor and my teacher, she was talking about family healing. I have kids that come from hard places, just like you do. Um, We have eight kids, right? And we fostered for 17 years. And I was like, family healing. I have a kid in the hospital. There's been somebody with a suicide attempt this week. I have a child with a brain injury, fetal alcohol, right? Behaviors, tempers, really struggling with that attachment piece. And of course, Because we adopted as an almost newborn, we knew we wouldn't have those adoption um, attachment problems that people have. Um, We were wrong. (laughs) We were so wrong, but we didn't get it. And and so, yeah, I I came into this program for my family. I I came into it for my kids. And then when I started talking, talking to um, the women that were running this coaching program with these 10 habits to thrive and talking about Ayurveda science of life and how if you start following the rhythms of nature and honoring circadian rhythm the benefits that you'll have I was like oh my gosh my kids need this and as I talked to her it's like gosh I'm really over myself too like I was just tired of me I was tired of getting up in the morning and sitting in my room and crying and not leaving the bedroom that day. Or yeah, by 6.30 in the morning, I'm yelling at my husband because I'm so overwhelmed with anticipation of the day. I haven't even given the day a chance to start. So that's how I came into this. Mm, That really resonates with me. We did a podcast with Robin Goebel about ways to help our kids regulate. And a lot of what we talked about were things that were rhythmic. And I even think about the book, The Boy Who Was Raised Like a Dog, I think, by Bruce Perry. And he talks about some of his hardest cases. The first thing he does is help a body, help a person or a child's body develop these rhythms that, you know, regulation starts with just simple biological rhythms. And so I just think that's so interesting that you were able to come to that through this path um, and then I'm excited to hear how it's impacted you guys and how what it looks like in your family. What I realized somewhere in the process, 
I had taken off my own life jacket or my own oxygen mask at some point, and I didn't gain over 30 pounds overnight. It was over a period of a few years. I didn't stop going for walks overnight. It just kind of happened because we always had crises, trauma. And so it was really funny that I came into this for my kids and then looked around one day and thought, I need this self-care for me. I would have never signed up for that for me as a busy mom with kids in crises, with doing the attachment work. I would have never done it for me. I was doing it for my little people. And then as I was doing it for my little people, I realized this is something I need too. Like, yes, we want to manage my daughter's digestion and her sensitivities. And there's some tricks that really enabled her to be able to sleep and settle at night. But what I realized when I was going through it is I also needed some tricks and tips to wind down my nervous system so I could sleep at night, so I could get up calmly in the morning. And I had no time. And somehow through living these habits day to day, I have so much more time now. And we're not in chaos all the time. And we're not in crises all the time. And we're not perfect. (laughs) Um, You know, and we still have the behaviors. And we're still working on attachment 11 years later. It still comes and goes, especially with holidays and anniversaries. And I, I did not realize how lost I had become in my kids until I started coming out the other end. And if anybody had told me, I would have said no. So interesting. Well, thanks for sharing that part of your story. Let's jump into these habits because now you've got my interest peaked and I'm wondering, okay, tell me all the things, Tanya. (laughs) So let's just walk through. It's 10 daily habits. Pick one and tell us a little bit about it. Okay. So we actually, we actually work in a really specific order and there's science to back all of this up. So again, looking at circadian rhythm. So usually we would start with, um, Sleep, right? Sleep is the greatest healer. We need rest. And it's also the most elusive thing with our kids. I get yeah. more questions about sleep. So we're, it's like the catch-22. Our kids need sleep for healing, but their trauma causes them to fight sleep. So That's right. So we start with earlier, lighter dinner. And what I didn't know, and I have a child with the fetal alcohol, quite often there's a lot of... Um, digestive and bowel issues to boot, right? Earlier, lighter dinner, ideally before 6.30, we actually shoot for by five o'clock at our house now. I didn't know that bodies need four to six hours to fully digest food so that the body can settle into that deep healing, cleansing cycle that it does when it sleeps. And so if I'm feeding her a snack at 7.30 or 8.30 at night, realistically, she is not going to be able to fall into that deep healing sleep that she needs until after midnight. Mm. And so when we have these little people that are hard to settle and they're running around the house, it was really so such a simple, simple thing. Move to an earlier, lighter dinner 
and freeing up this evening time and allowing her body to do some of the deep healing. Because as we know, when our kids are traumatized in whatever way, shape or form, it's not just their minds, it, it affects the whole body, all the cells, right? Which is why we focus on circadian rhythm. Yeah, what does a lighter dinner look like in your house? So lighter dinner, we go back to the old days where supper was a supplement. So it's a broth, it's a soup, it's a salad. We do everything gradually. We do everything in a Kaizen approach, which is Kaizen is 1% improvement per day. So keeping it simple. We can't change our kiddos' worlds right away. And we know that through adoption, through fostering, through our own, you know, it's cruel. Our kids are used to a certain rhythm. And so we have to to do things gradually and kindly with them and with ourselves. And that's where we get the long-term changes. Because I can change something tomorrow, but we'll have forgotten about it by the end of the month. Yeah. (laughs) Or it'll be a fight. Right. So does that look like, you know, decreasing calories in dinner and increasing them at lunch, you know, a little bit at a time moving Absolutely. Supper so, back, you know, a minute or two every couple of days. Or yeah. Something. And lunch, lunch becomes your most important part of the day. And that's something that I love that I work in communities so that we're brainstorming because reality is lunch as the most important meal of the day for our kiddos is tough especially if they're in the school system. I do get to homeschool. I have that privilege and opportunity. Not everybody does. And I know that my teens that are in regular school, there's not a lot of opportunities for lunch. So we've gone to more of a compromise with the teens. They have a bigger dinner, 3.30, between 3.30 and 4, something that's ready when they get home. I like that. Thanks for the tips for those of us who have kids in all the stages and not as much control over timing and food. So what is the next thing? So earlier, lighter supper. Yeah. And then we go into earlier to bed and really working in that beautiful, soothing bedtime routine, which I know that we all try and do. It's so lovely when you're shooting for that earlier, lighter dinner, though, you're setting the tone in your house. I know for us, when we're done eating, we're dimming lights. We've put dimmer lights all through our house. So kitchen's cleaned, lights are getting dimmed. We're setting that tone. Kitchen is closed. If anybody wants anything, there's some warm water, which is also allowing the body time to digest and process and do a little bit of a detox and cleanse. And it's, it's just so empowering to allow, you know, when you and I talk about digesting, we're thinking about food, but when we're freeing up this time in the evening and in bedtime routine, we get into self massage and meditation or sitting in silence and all that sort of stuff. It's allowing time to process the day and process the feelings and process the emotions before you're moving into sleep. It's hard to do when we're busy, when we're plugged in, when we're reacting, not responding, right? What are some of the key things that you guys do as part of that soothing bedtime routine? And this might be jumping into some of the other habits, but what does yeah. that like? um, One of the other habits that I do is self-massage. And so teaching our kids, when you rub your arms, 
you're releasing your feel-good hormones and endorphins, right? It's, you know, and it's not something that even reacts, and, and they've got the science to prove this, doesn't even react the same when somebody else is doing it for you. When we've got our kids and they're healing from trauma, self-touch, self-awareness, self-love, it's so hard to fill somebody's cup when they don't love themselves. And as moms, we take on that role. We're always trying to love them enough so that they'll feel it. Yeah. And, and they feel like black holes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet true love and to be able to receive love, you have to come into that relationship with, with yourself first. Yeah, absolutely. So what does that self-massage, is it just like a, a rubbing of your limbs? Um, I'm also thinking like, you know, what a beautiful thing to start with for kids who won't accept touch from you, right? A lot of our kids are touch averse. Can you give us, I know we're on like an audio people can't see, and maybe we'll have you come to our group maybe and do a little demonstration at some point, but can you give just like a verbal, like kind of what that even looks like. You know what, even, even in our house, we've just started and I can share with you, I'll share with you a little clip on um, just doing an evening foot massage for families. Remind me and I'll send it to you. Even just coming together as a family and I've got four girls still at home, 11 to 17. So we did a Wednesday night. It's family foot massage night. We got out the essential oils, right? We had to put the thieves spray away because my one really likes it, but she has epilepsy. So the thieves has, right? So that triggers her a little bit. So she went with a peppermint. But, you know, we literally got out a couple of big mixing bowls, some warm water, little essential oil in the bowl. She's got her feet in the bowl. I've got my feet in one bowl. And then she comes over and she's got her feet in my bowl. And this kid has sensory issues. She's like, don't touch me. Don't rub me. She's ticklish. You can't touch her. But she's got her feet in the bowl with me. And the water's warm. And it smells good. And then her dad's got Mongo feet. So for him, we've got the blue rough tote, right? <laughs> the rubber made rough tote. And he's got his jeans rolled up and he's got his feet in the warm water. <laughs> and I think they have some orange essence in his, right? And so we started playing and we had towels on the floor. And of course, I'm a mom also like, don't get too much water on my floors. You'll wreck them. Like, we keep it real. <laughs> and so... Chris has his feet in this tub and then I go and stand in it with him and then she comes. And so all three of us have her feet in there. And then afterwards, I just, you know, she sat on the floor and I gave her a little bit of sesame oil. Um, I really teach people just to use food grade oils with our kiddos and ourselves, a little bit of essential, um, but always food grade. Your skin is your biggest organ. So I'm always teaching, like, if you wouldn't put it in your mouth, why are you putting it on your body? Mm. I can't really rub her feet because she's so sensitive, but she could rub her feet. And my 13-year-old is painting her nails with nail polish. She's like, you guys are lame. I'm not doing that. 17-year-old's like, I'm not leaving my room. I was like, could you just join us? So she sat in the recliner, right? We had everybody in the same room. 15-year-old ditched us out for a little bit, but it was really cool because later my 15-year-old comes up to my room. She's like, can I have that sesame oil? 
I wanna, I wanna rub my legs like you guys were doing, but I'm gonna go do it in my room. Yeah, totally, right? We are our own healers and we can use our hands for healing. So if we're teaching our kids that and we're teaching them about good touch, safe touch, their boundaries, in just a little family evening foot massage with some water and towels and a tiny bit of oil, it's, I can't put how many life lessons or counseling sessions that we could, you know. Yeah. <laughs> right? You didn't even have to leave the comfort of your own home because we were just talking about how it's like, you know, 30 degrees below zero where you are. It's like in the single digits where I am. So sometimes it's nice to cozy down into your home and not have to worry about running out. And, and you know what? We do need therapies and we do need support. And then we also need to be. And it's finding that line as a parent of, am I running to OT? Am I running to OT all the time? Or, oh my goodness, could we just dim the lights? We didn't like candles, not with that crew and not with the cats. Like we just didn't, right? (laughs) Yeah, just being real. I get it. (laughs) But there's, there's there's still ways to find that. And, you know, when you have that connection in the morning or at night, one, the next habit I teach is starting the day right. Our kids wake up in full anxiety every day. That's how they start their days, right? They're in fight or flight, so many of them. And as a mom crying in the bedroom, <laughs> I too was in fight or flight. Like I went to a doctor and he said to me, like, you have PTSD. So I researched PTSD, but I certainly didn't do anything to work on my PTSD because I was so involved with my traumatized child, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then as I started doing this promo, I was like, oh, oh, Tanya, come on, look at you, right? And so starting the day right, just waking up, and so often I would wake up in reactionary mode myself. And really consciously waking up and listening to my inner voice and saying, oh, there you go again, mind. You've already done 26 things and we haven't been awake for 30 seconds. You actually woke me up because you're doing the to-do list. And just taking back that control of my mind and coming into myself and lying in bed for one minute. And I started with gratitude for my kiddos, definitely. Eventually that gratitude moved into myself and we had a really difficult time with one of our children and I was feeling really, really resentful. So I started with gratitude for the fun and the lessons that she teaches me and it took some creativity because I've gotten in a really negative pattern of self-talk of, I can't do this. She's not going to do, you know, you know, that road. Yeah. So many down it becomes it. like a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's such a downward spiral. And then in start the day, right. We're bringing back in the massage again, lie in bed, rub your hands together, touch your face, rub your arms, rub your feet and longevity. If you can still be touching your feet, why isn't that a gift? Like if you can get your toes up to rub your toes every single morning, and if you can't touch your toes now, just reach for your knees and in a few weeks you'll be able to reach a little farther, right? We need to be limber to look after our kids 
And again, to teach my kids, wake up in the morning, check in with your body, become aware of what you're feeling. When you are a traumatized person, you're numb and you will never know you're numb until somebody gives you these little tips. And then one day you go, oh, I do have toes. <laughs> oh, I do have knees. <laughs> yeah. And, and then start the day right, you know, drinking warm water in the morning, hydrating your system. When you drink warm water in the morning, if you haven't had anything else in your stomach yet, it encourages elimination. Your body will move into that cycle. And a lot of our kiddos with their bowel issues and digestive issues don't eliminate every morning. And they should be because otherwise they're not absorbing the minerals and nutrients that they need because the minerals and nutrients, as they move through your digestive tract, it's that last stage before peristalsis, which is elimination or when you poop. And that's when you're getting that true absorption of your nutrients and minerals, vitamins. So if you're missing that step every day, that's part of that thing with our kiddos where they're not, you know, they're vitamin deficient, no matter how much food we shove in them, right? Mm. And we see this. Great. So we went to bed early. We woke up early and we're starting our day, right? So what's next? Breath body practice. Touch your toes. Do some jumping jacks. I encourage everybody to move for 20 minutes every day. I encourage my moms and my dads in my group, two minutes. Can you skip and spin down the hall to that kiddo's room? (laughs) (laughs) Like 20 minutes is too much. Two minutes is quite often a stretch. But if two minutes is our end goal with our families and our kids to get moving, to get bouncing, touch your toes, reach for the sky, You know, we can usually do 30 or 60 seconds and that will lead into two minutes. And again, it's that awareness of just connecting. If you can control your breath, you can control your mind. And if we can teach that to ourselves and our kids, it helps so much with the anxiety, the mental health issues, um, all the things that we deal with in our day-to-day lives. And I I know with my little one, just teaching her to reach for the sky. I've got my hands above my head. Melissa, if you do this too, like just put your hands above your head and reach for the sky just once. And it makes you smile. It lightens your eyes. And it does, it affects your breath. Like you almost have to breathe in. It forces it. It forces it, right? We, as a society, we hold our breath and we don't even know we're holding our breath. And so when I do this one, oh, yeah, I was holding my breath. And then I get, you know, my daughter to touch her toes because it makes her laugh because she's usually angry at me. She's like, I'm not doing it. I was like, I dare you, you know. And she's like, I'll do it once because you're stupid. (laughs) And then she touches her toes. And as she's reaching for her toes, I'll say to her, don't laugh. And she ends up cracking up, right? Like there's something about that reaching for the sky and reaching for the toes. And the yogis have it right in the sun salutations. 
but we're never going to be that serious with our kiddos because our lives are so serious already. We have to play and have fun. Yeah. 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 And we found that inversion helps regulate the brain anyway to get some kind of upside down, whether you dare them to do a handstand or you hang upside down on the jungle gym um, or just the simple practice of touching your toes. Um, yeah. Or legs, legs up the wall, right? Where you right. just lie with a book and put your legs up the wall and let the blood rush back and you're oxygenating and you're cleaning and it's just, it's so revitalizing, right? So the next practice, number five that I move into is plant-based diet. Okay, let's stop. I didn't say vegan. Nobody said you have to be vegan. What I'm just teaching is more ways of getting creative. The end goal is to kind of have your plate half full of veggies, lots of leafy greens. We eat weeds in our house, so we go on dandelion hunts and find things that are out out in the back, and, and we get creative that way. And again, it's through curiosity and play. And there's something about kids that when they run out in the yard and they pick their own dandelion greens and they wash them and they chop them into a salad or we dry them and blend them into a smoothie later, they're like totally eating them, right? Um, if I served a dandelion salad, it would probably hit the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, it's just, it's just that healthier lifestyle. And then we go back into self-massage, which again, uh, you know, we've worked it into bedtime. We've worked it into the morning. For me, when I used to have to pick up from school, I would find myself rubbing, rubbing my legs, just sitting in the parking lot before I get out of the car. And that moves me into our next habit, which is sitting in silence. And a lot of people are like, meditation's not for me. And I get that, but we do need silence and we do need quiet and we do need to control our minds and we need to teach our kids this and to have those conversations in our homes about our inner voices and what they're saying to us, because that's so much of the mental health issues that we deal with, right? Are those stories that we're telling ourselves in our heads, whether it's as a mom, I can't cope. This is too hard. She's not going to listen to me. Or with it's, if it's with my child, if you actually don't care about me or you don't like me or whatever those, those stories are. And so sitting in silence, we play with a lot and we get really curious in our community about, you know, like, Melissa, when would be a time in your day that you would need to sit in silence? For me, it wasn't in the morning and it wasn't at bedtime. For me, it was before I did that pickup, I would sit in the car and take that two to five minutes to just breathe and feel my body. And do the transition before I step into the ring with whatever after school is going to bring. You know, what, what, kind of, what do you need during the day? Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned when we first started that a lot of this is backed in science. And I don't stop very often. I'm always moving. But when I started looking at the research around mindfulness and taking a couple minutes in silence, and I saw what the benefits were 
mostly that it could give you a whole full second extra of reaction time before I say something to my child that I'm going to regret a whole second to, you know, make sure my own lid isn't flipped to make sure I'm regulated. You know, it sounds so small, but I mean, a whole second is a long time when you're in a reactionary situation. And I thought, okay, I can do two minutes of mindfulness a couple times a day. I don't know if I can do 10 all at once, but I can do a couple. And the other big thing for me was finding an app or something that could help me. And I'm not a huge like meditator in terms of like following guided meditation, but I've found that there's an app that has a breathing bubble. And so if I can just focus my eyes and use it to keep my mind from wandering and watch the bubble as it breathes in and breathes out and just let my body follow that, that has really worked for me. And I do it a little bit in the morning just because I find a lot of the habits I'm trying to start if I don't do them early in the morning, they just don't get done. But that technique of taking two minutes to look at that breathing bubble in and out for two minutes, I'm finding that I can squeeze that in to a lot of parts of my day if I need to. And the key for me has been, you know, just putting it on the schedule and doing it. It's not about doing it in the minute because I was really crappy at doing it in the moment, you know, taking the deep breath to not, you know, bite my kids' heads off. But I can do it proactively. I can do it preemptively and, and know that that's still helping me in the moment. Um, it's like training my brain. And that concept was really, really powerful for me. I love what you said about, I know I'm supposed to do it when we're going into the moment or whatever, but we're already there usually by the time. Like, and that was what I found. It takes time and it needs time to build. Like you're not going to sit for one minute and just observe your thoughts for the first day and be a changed woman. But if you set a timer in your phone to go off every day at a certain time, even if you don't take the silence, your timer goes off and go, I don't have 90 seconds. Eventually you see the pattern of, Oh, it's been 10 days and I haven't found 90 seconds in 10 days. And maybe this time isn't the time that I actually need to stop, right? And so then you're playing, you're like, when do I need to stop? And yeah, you, you might not notice the benefits the first day or the second day, but somewhere six to eight weeks out, it's that gift. And the gift that I love is when I'm able to respond, not react. And it doesn't happen overnight. And I have to start over every day. And that's why we do these habits and we move them into every day to build that basis, right? And then the days that I do react, because I do, I get to start over again. And I have a tool, right? I'm going to breathe. I'm going to sit. I'm going to connect with me. And I start over. And instead of starting over from... I'm a bad parent. I need to do this better. We're going to have a family meeting. My husband and I are going to have a big chat. We're going to change everything up tonight. And he's going to change three things too, right? Because you know. <laughs> and it's, it's like you've been in our house. Cycle. Oh, it's fun. It is fun. And yeah, you have to find what works for you. Like I remember when we started, it was just blowing up a balloon. Pick your balloon. What color? Do you want your balloon to be? Now get your balloon and stretch it back and forth. Stretch your balloon back and forth. Get it ready. 
And then you start blowing up this balloon and you watch it get bigger and bigger and bigger and whatever color it is. And sometimes I would blow it up so big it would explode. And then eventually I learned to, oh, I won't blow it up so far. Like I don't need to go to that degree, right? And my kids love that one too, of just visualize yourself blowing up a balloon. We've practiced sitting in silence. We're self-massaging. What are the last couple habits? So the last couple healthier eating guidelines. So we just come back into, are we down to three meals a day? Are we allowing that four to six hours for digestion between meals? Have we added in more water during the day instead of the milk and juice, which also keeps our kids in digestive process, right? And interferes with that rhythm of nature. And then we come to our senses. So then we start focusing on our eyes and our skin and our ears, our nose and, you know, what we're absorbing and what we're smelling. And again, our, so many of our kids have sensory issues. So this is really beautiful because when you tune into your own senses, you're so much more able to support somebody else who really struggles with sensory overload and issues. Yeah. Can we circle back to the eating real quick? Um, yeah. You know, a lot of our kids struggle with that like blood sugar drop. And I have always kind of fed my kids all day just to kind of keep their blood sugar up. How does that interact with, you know, like bigger so meals with, trying to get the digestion going? Yeah. So there's two parts to this. The first one is sometimes people have genuine medical issues, diabetes, etc. And so they may need to eat those, you know, and we have been taught as a society is our trend now to eat six meals a day, quite often six small meals. And so that one, we have to get curious and we have to experiment. I have a child that due to nutrient vitamin deficiency, I was feeding like that. I, never went down to three meals a day with her for a long time until we had a few days where it just kind of happened and we noticed that she was more regulated. So then we played with it and we got curious about it. And I think it's the combination of everything because we're also calming her nervous system. And what we figured out was that she's actually a really slow digester. And we were feeding her too often. And she actually died with about five hours between her meals because we don't allow ourselves to feel hungry anymore. And when you do the whole digestion process, and, and I teach a whole little workshop on this, there's various stages of digestion. But the second to last stage of digestion, you'll actually feel very light. And a lot of people equate that feeling with hunger. And yet, if you would go get busy or drink some warm water and give yourself another 30 to 90 minutes after that stage, then you come to true hunger. And when you're truly hungry, your digestive fire is going. You break down that food. You process it. And so that is one of those things to play with with our kids and again, we have to follow medical advice too. Sometimes what I, what I find is when they get a break in that digestion, 
they do start processing and they're able to process their emotions and everything. It's very powerful. I never understood it. That's beautiful. And, and follows a lot of what we talk about with is it is of utmost importance. You know, we, we throw out a lot of tools, a lot of ideas, but at the end of the day, we have to be in tune with our kids. And so I love what you said about just being curious and, you know, there's no like right or wrong so much, but things to think about um, because that could be huge for some families out there who have done traditionally, you know, high protein every two hours, you know, that maybe that is too much. So I teach about constitution and that we all have different constitutions. And so I try and eat the way my husband eats and I try and feed my children the way I eat. However, we're all individuals and we all process differently. We all use our fuel differently. When we start to understand that one person is actually a very slow digester, another is a very quick digester, then, you know, we have varied eating times for people in our home. You know, my 15-year-old is a wiry, fiery, string bean dancer, athlete. You know, the way that kid's running right now, her digestive fire is always going. And so with her, the teaching for her more is, yeah, you're going to have two Big Macs, two large fries, and a piece of apple pie. And you can do that right now because you're 15. And I was able to do that when I was 15. And I just plant that little seed of knowledge that somewhere in your 20s, honey, you're going to not want to do that. And somewhere in your 30s, you're going to adjust it again. And when you get into your 40s and 50s, let's go again. Because as we age, we need a lot less fuel. We always need that quality of fuel in our food, right? Yeah. Definitely. And, and we, we, could, we could do a whole other podcast on the different layers of tissue in the body and you know, how the nutrients and how we want to be building that in our kids for the future, especially our kids from trauma. And that's one of the things I'm really passionate about is realizing the lifelong implications, you know, trying to set them up now to reduce some of those chronic health conditions down the road that they also face. It's just part of that pattern, right? Yeah, definitely. So I think there's one more habit that we haven't quite tackled. So what's that last one? It's kind of and uh, it's the, best. the fun one. Yeah, that's what it's I was just thinking. Fun one. We give you all these rules and all these ticky boxes, and then we come back to easeful living. How can we implement all these daily habits to thrive in a joyful, easeful manner so that it doesn't feel like work? Where can we find the joy in life? Where can we find the joy in our habits and the joy in our family? Because we forget every day we have a choice between stress or ease, and we choose. And so again, challenging people to get curious about where can I find the ease in this? And I'm not saying we have to be happy all the time because that's not true either. And sometimes some of our greatest joys and learnings come from our hardest life experiences and our hardest life lessons. I don't know about your families, but my quite often we're in the thick of it. And so looking around in the thick of it and saying, there will be joy in this. Like there will be a new learning, a new discovery, a new level of connection, you know, a new relationship gained, maybe an old one lost. And, and finding the ease in that so that we're more able to step forward. 
Mm, and you're lighter. Like I feel like all even just talking about all of these things, it helps balance the weightiness of what we've taken on with our kids and their experiences and what they've brought into our homes due to their experiences. A few years ago, before I started this process, I'm a giver, I'm upbeat, I've got a great sense of humor. But somewhere along the lines, a lot of Eeyore crept in, and it was heavy, and it was negative, and it was hard. And I never want to downplay that there is some negativity and there is difficulty, and our lives can be hard, and our kids' lives can be hard. And then coming back to say, yes, I've acknowledged that, and now let's celebrate the joy in that and celebrate the joy in our stories. But we also don't have to be our story. We have to acknowledge our stories and we come from our stories. But we don't have to be them and we can find this ease and celebration in them all. Tanya, thank you so much for coming, sharing part of your story, sharing these habits to thrive. I think they're so helpful. They're simple. I love how kind you were to us to just say, you know, 1%, just make little changes. I think that feels very doable. I I feel so good after we have these chats. I'm like, yes, we can do this. And we're all in this together in our various shapes, but we can do this. Yeah. And we're better in community, which I think is huge. And that has been one of the gifts in this journey, at least for me, to connect with other people. And it does, when we come together in community, it does feel more doable to tackle it together as a group. That was such an interesting interview with Tanya. I really appreciate her sharing all the things that she's learned and what she's doing in her work supporting families. 100% honesty, some of it sounds really, really hard. Like, I can't even fathom how some of it would work for my family. But there are other parts that really resonate with me, and I'm just reminded to do more, like gratitude. Gratitude first thing in the morning. That's always been really key for me, and keeping my mind in the right space is to think about what I am thankful for, even in the hard, even with kids that might be harder. Like, what about them? can I literally name or write down that I'm thankful for? Because it helps me to think upon the things that are good. You know, whatever is good, whatever is lovely. And I'm not going to be, I can't say the whole verse right now. Well, I probably could. But anyhow, think about these things. You know, I think gratitude is super important. And of course, I've talked about it a lot before, but I think sleep is very important as well. So a couple of those things, super, super useful and practical for me. And I, I'm going to be thinking about the others and what I could potentially implement. How about you? I, I like the brain science part of some of the things that she mentioned. I mean, obviously, I'm the resident brain science nerd. And self-massage, I just just never crossed my mind. I don't know. And, and it sounds from her stories that it's a really powerful experience. You know, I think when I think massage, I think of like the experience I get when I go to a spa and get a massage. And so like, I think the self massage like puzzled me until she really described it, which is really just like, you know, giving yourself a little rub, you know, you kind of do it second nature. If you're cold, right. You kind of cross your arms and you rub um, to warm yourself up. So I thought that was really interesting. And I just think it's interesting how like things like sleep were impacted kind of unexpectedly through these things. And I know that is such a huge battleground and point of, 
you know, sore point for some of our families. So, you know, again, just remember she said 1% per day. It's really little, but just imagine, you know, getting to a space where you don't feel so frazzled, where everyone's sleeping a little better, you know, that's where, that's the, you know, breeding ground for healing. So I just think it's really important work that we're doing in our families to take tiny steps towards these things. Yeah, I like that too. The 1%, that, that is comforting to me. If I'm going to try new things, to just take it a little at a time and watch and sort of observe the impact. So yeah, I loved it. So if you want to connect more with Tanya, you can find her on her Facebook community, which is Access Ease. She is on Instagram as Tanya.Milliken, M-I-L-L-I-K-E-N. She's on Pinterest. She also is a moderator for a group that supports families who are caregivers for individuals with fetal alcohol. So it's Jeff Noble's FASD Caregiver Success Support Group. So you can find her in all of those places. We, of course, will also have all of those websites, Facebook groups, her website, which is tanyamillican.com, on the show notes. And while you're over there at the show notes connecting with Tanya, she has this cute little download that you can print out. It would make a great bookmark or a reminder to hang on your refrigerator of just what these 10 habits are. If you're a visual gal like me, um, seeing them all laid out would be really helpful. So you can find all of that, where to connect with Tanya and grab that principle of the 10 habits at theadoptionconnection.com slash 34. We've come to the part in the podcast that we call Mentor Moments, where we answer a listener's question. Today's question is, I'm looking for ways to help my child deal with homework. My philosophy tends toward, she's young, and I don't want homework to become a constant battle, but there's also that part of me that worries about what happens if she doesn't get it done. I feel like maybe she's getting away with not doing homework if we don't push it, and then it will be a problem in future grade levels. I just don't think it's worth the meltdowns this stage in the game. Melissa. Do you like to start? I mean, the short answer is I don't think homework's ever worth the battle. And I know it's took, it took me a long time to get there. And so I get if not everyone's there. But I kind of played this game with myself about the what if. What if, you know, the listener asked, what about the future? And I thought, well, what about the future? Thing is, is that no one like failed at life because they didn't do their homework. And even if like, let's take it to the really, really extreme and say like your kid fails out of high school, um, which is almost impossible with no child left behind anyway, then when they decide that they want their education, they can go get it. They can do community college. They can get a GED. Like it's just not as paramount and critical as sometimes I think we've built it up in our heads. And I love education and I think it's really important. I just think there's so many other things that we're dealing with as families of kids from trauma that I just not sure that this is where I would, my hill that I would die on. Well, I have a couple of thoughts and some practical things as well. Um, with Calcadon in particular, her therapist told us before we even attempted to do any homework to just let her wind down. And she actually even encouraged a little screen time, like watching a short show or um, letting her play something on the computer or the iPad, just to let her brain 
sort of rest from the work of school. The other thing is with all of my kids, I would never attempt homework without first feeding them. <laughs> you know, give them something to eat, give them something to drink, um, because they come home from school tired and generally overstimulated. And my kids usually come home hungry as well. So those are the like super practical little things. And I think there are some kids, depending on the homework, that after dinner might even be better, depending upon the kind of work it is and how old they are and all those kinds of things. Um, the other really proactive thing that we've done is um, with one of our kids, we've put him in a tutorial class that happens for one of his class periods at school. And the whole reason we did that was so that he could accomplish his homework at school. I just explained, you know, this child is very, very resistant to any help. He does not want my help with homework, and yet he needs support and help. If he gets behind, he gets overwhelmed, and then he just shuts down. And so last year, we struggled with homework a lot. This year, I asked for this tutorial class, and it's been amazing. It's been the most brilliant, simple solution and actually made my life much easier and made our relationship easier because now he accomplishes all of his homework. His grades are far, far better this year. So he feels good about it. I certainly feel good about it because I rarely have to worry about homework because he really is getting it done at school. Um, the one exception is when he has a long project, you know, the kind where they have to set up a presentation board or something. But then he seems a little more willing to accept my help. So anyhow, honestly, removing homework has been the most helpful thing for me. Just cutting it out hasn't been the solution, but making it so he can get it done at school has been our best solution. Yeah, especially with kids who struggle with attachment, outsourcing jobs always is helpful. They will always accept help more readily from someone who's not an attachment figure. And then something else just to this a little bit, it doesn't contradict what I said earlier, but sometimes our kids don't want us to tell them homework isn't a big deal or that they don't have to do it because they know that it's different. They feel like that accommodation is like too special for them or setting them apart and they don't want to feel different, but they're really struggling. And so we just have to be paying attention to what's best for our kids. And in those situations, I think it's really tempting if we've decided that we are going to help our child do homework because it's what he or she has deemed helps them feel connected to the class and like they're keeping up. It's tempting if it's hard to be like, oh, I knew this was a bad idea. Like I'm just not going to do homework. But I think that gives their behavior and their dysregulation a little too much power. So kind of like a couple episodes, Risha talked about how she just patiently waited for the girl to get on her horse. You know, I think we can probably do, take a similar stance where we say, I know you can do it. I'll be here for you. I'll wait for you to regulate. We don't have to be super pushy. Um, and if, you know, time runs out, like the natural consequences up against bedtime, that's a different story, but did not throw in the towel because it gets hard and to just, you know, keep telling our kids that we believe in them and that we're going to be there for them and kind of being that lighthouse in the storm. And that takes some of the power away from their dysregulation, which I think is super important. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, homework for kids who are in public school, well, in private school, but for kids who attend school, it is their reality. And so I think it depends a lot too on their, uh, maybe their cognitive abilities and other challenges they may have. If they have an IEP, they certainly have more flexibility or we have more flexibility to request things. But um, 
for me, finding solutions to the homework problem has been, has been really, really helpful in my relationship with my kids too. Perfect. So if you'd like to submit a question for a future episode, send an email to email at theadoptionconnection.com or you can leave a voice message. No one picks up that line. It's just a way for you to record your question so that other listeners can hear it. You can call 208-741-3880 to record your question there. And if you need more personalized help, we do offer private coaching. So you can sign up for a free session at theadoptionconnection.com slash services. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.